I uh, I want to talk a little bit about Israel, but I, I want to talk about it with respect to revival. Um, it does connect. I am mindful that one of the rules of which I'm in wholehearted agreement of is that we should not um, focus devotionals on controversial subjects and things like that. So I'm going to touch on eschatology, which I know uh, enters me, broaches that very realm uh, where there are all kinds of disagreements regarding the proper way to interpret the Bible eschatologically. Um, but since our purpose is revival, and since there is a passage that has long interested me to actually, uh, that, that really do relate with the issue of revival and connect a revival amongst the Gentiles, I believe, with a revival amongst the Jews, which is also connected with uh, the threat of their own existence. Um, and I don't know uh, the things that are going on right now in Israel. Um, this is not the first time, of course, that Israel has been attacked. It's not the first time that nations have threatened to wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, you know, there used to be sort of a joke that uh, was making fun of the tendency to, uh, you know, seize upon every current event that happens with Israel and then write a new book off of it. So the, the old joke was every time a barrel of oil spills in the Middle East, some evangelical writes another book on prophecy and uh, connects that with the, uh, you know, the last days and that sort of thing. So uh, there is a need to be cautious. And so I'll say that at the outset that uh, yeah, usually when it comes to the relevance of various events that occur in in history and particularly as they're unfolding we don't have the benefit of hindsight and there the the number of times in which people thought a certain event was foretelling the very end are legion and and so with all that uh in mind and with all that caution and disclaimer i, I do want to look at ezekiel 38 and 39 now, these are long chapters, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but um, it, it speaks about um, the, the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. We're very familiar with that. And one of the reasons that there are differences when it comes to prophecy has, has to do with the interpretation of the very word Israel. And so, um, you know, we really have three options when it comes to Israel as it as that word comes up, or uh, Judah, or Jacob, or Ephraim, um, various synonyms for the Jewish people, what does that refer to when it is speaking of a prophecy and when we're dealing with eschatology? There's basically three options. It refers to the ethnic Jewish people in the near future, or we might just say in the Old Covenant era, and so then the question becomes, has this particular prophecy already been fulfilled in the new in the old covenant era? Um, and that's usually not difficult to ascertain because we have biblical history to consult and the rest of the Old Testament to consult. Uh, the second possibility is that it refers to the church. Um, Israel, of course, uh, you know, Galatians 6 talks about the, the new Israel of God. Um, at, at the end of Romans 2, it talks about he is not a Jew who is one outwardly um, in the flesh and circumcision circumcised outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcised of the heart. 
And so there is this aspect of the spiritual Jew and a, and a Christian is a spiritual Jew. Uh, Galatians 4, the children of Abraham are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so you become a child of Abraham when you have and you inherit the promises made to him when you uh, have faith in Jesus Christ. So anytime we have a prophecy concerning Israel in the Old Testament, we have to consider that it could be a reference to the church and to spiritual Jews in the New Covenant era, or it could be a reference to ethnic Jewish bloodline Israelites of the distant future. And so uh, when you consider those three possibilities, and then you come to Ezekiel 38, where you have this prophecy about Gog and Magog uh, coming with hordes of troops to destroy Israel, um, then you've got sort of those three options to consider. But I'll just kind of look at, at a few verses here and, uh, and then really want to get to the very end of 39, because at the end of 39, it talks about God pouring out his spirit upon Israel. Um, that's what we are praying for with respect to revival. We're praying for an outpouring of the spirit of God. So in 38, uh, two, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, and all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer with all its troops, Beth to Garmah from the remote parts of the north with all its troops, many peoples with you. Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. You will go up, you will come like a storm, you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your troops, and many peoples with you. And so then as you go on, you see these, these troops, these nations, this horde of people are summoned by God to come to surround and invade and attack Israel. And God's plan is to wipe them out, that they are summoned to invade Israel first. And then as we get down into verse 39, God talks about uh, chapter 39, excuse me, um, talks about turning all these nations around um, and striking your bow from your left hand and clash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And it goes on like that and, and talks about uh, and God just pouring out his wrath on all of these nations. Um, and then we, we come to sort of a common phrase of the birds of the air are summoned to have a great feast, uh, you know, eating and, and drinking off all the dead bodies um, that are laying all over the ground. Um, 39 verse 20, you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers with mighty men and all the men of war. 
declares the Lord God, and I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. So this mighty deliverance that God gives will be the means by which they come to know that the Lord is their God. And it is something they have not known, except for a few, a remnant, for a couple of thousand years now. The nations, verse 23, the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously. The nations will know this about Israel, that they spent a long time in exile, booted out of their land and in exile because of their treachery against God. And I hid my face from them, so I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword according to their uncleanness and according to the transgressions I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. So a description of Israel under judgment of God, being cast out, being dominated by the nations, scattered. And then verse 25 of chapter 39, therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery, which they perpetrated against me when they live securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations, and then gathered them again to their own land, and I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel declares the Lord God. I will, pour out, I will have poured out my spirit. Then they will come to see that I am God, that I am their God. Then they will understand their iniquity and why they were driven out of their land for so long. So as we return to those three questions, does this refer to, the, to Israel in the old covenant era? There's really nothing that corresponds to that in the biblical history of old covenant Israel. There was certainly Babylon coming in and Assyria in the north, but that didn't result in those nations being crushed and God's spirit being poured out upon Israel. Um, it resulted in Israel getting crushed and hauled off into exile, but nothing played out like this. Does it refer to the church, you know, spiritual Israel? When Jesus talks about communion, the first Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days. Yet we all take communion. We all take the Lord's Supper, even though we're not ethnic Israelites, most of us, I presume. We understand that that's spiritual Jews being referred to. Is that what this is referring to? Well, that's hard to make that work um, because it talks about a long exile and being driven out of the land and, and things like that, and uh, doesn't seem to really fit the descriptions that we have of the church, um, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, and so that, as far as I can tell, leaves us with only one legitimate option, which is ethnic Israel of the distant future, um, the distant future from the time that prophecy was made. 
So is that what's happening in Israel today? I don't know. Um, you know, certainly what we see is a war having begun, and we see lots of other nations like they usually do, Muslim nations getting very angry, making threats, um, and, you know, rather significant numbers of armies that could be brought to bear against Israel um, if it goes that way. Um, but, you know, at Romans 11, I guess, is the other passage, and I'm not going to turn there, but if you're familiar with it, it speaks of Israel being hardened and um, only a remnant being saved, but indicates that the day would come when that hardening would end and they would be restored and ungodliness would be removed from Jacob and uh, they would be grafted back into the vine and all Israel would be saved. Now, you know, there's debates on what that means, all Israel be saved, but it does seem to indicate a restoration of them spiritually. And so the, the interesting thing about these things is sometimes as we pray for revival, the way God intends to bring it is not really the way we would imagine. Um, you know, if, if, if I'm correct on this, and I, I say that with, with humility because we're talking eschatology, and I could be wrong. But if this is the case, then, you know, you, you pray for peace because we're supposed to. We pray for peace in the nations. We pray um, for rulers so that we might enjoy peace. And yet, if the pouring out of the Spirit of God upon Israel takes place in the context of them being invaded and threatened with their very existence, um, then we shouldn't be surprised if sometimes our prayers are being answered um, when, by things that look rather threatening and ominous and gloomy. Um, in any case, uh, the you know Romans 11 uh, seems to connect blessing to the Gentiles as well when Israel is grafted back in. Doesn't seem to just simply limit the blessing to ethnic Jews, but but also you know to the Israelites or to the to the Gentiles as well. If you if you follow that text carefully, um, especially verses 11 through 15. But um, you know as we as we pray for revival and we are asking that God pour out His Spirit upon us, and we've been waiting for that. Um, Israel should certainly be one of the countries that we would want God to pour out his spirit upon and uh, to turn them from their ungodliness, to turn them to Christ, uh, for them to see that they, they have no God, they have no Savior, they're empty-handed, they have, they have no hope. All they have is their, their military and a, a a relatively small number of troops against hordes of opposition. Uh, there's, there's no refuge there. There's no strength there. Ultimately, God needs to be their refuge. And, and so we uh, should pray for them. And, and according to prophecy, if I've understood it right, that that, that would also be a tremendous blessing upon the, the Gentile nations as well, um, as they look on and as they see. Um, and uh, so as we go to prayer today, uh, let us pray for the, the pouring out of God's spirit that's spoken of there at the end of Ezekiel 39, um, for the salvation of the Jews and for uh, that, that to spread then to the Gentiles as well.